Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. We are like just five minutes out from Sunday school class, Corey, that you just taught. Uh, and so I, my mind's really rolling right now. And b- without saying too much, uh, you got to go online and watch today's class because it's going to preclude some comments that I think we're going to start out with today. My mind's blown, Corey. That's the second time I've seen that presentation. I think uh, not exactly the same as the last one, but uh, you'll be able to see it online at Restore Gospel Podcast on YouTube. Uh, as class eight. Class number eight, and that should be out today or tomorrow, probably when Corey gets it uploaded. It's also on the Living Hope website, Living Hope Restoration Branch, that you can watch it as well. Corey, um, I was going to ask you, by the way, it kind of went unnoticed, but congratulations on our 150th episode, which was the last episode. Oh I don't, think, oh I don't know. Gosh. Some numbers just seem to be a little better, you know, <laughs> it's like number seven or nine, but you know, 50 was a mile marker and then 100, 150, which wow. means we're, we're approaching almost three years of podcasts. Uh, I know there was a few times, you know, we put more than one out a week, but that's, uh, I was going to ask you, in your opinion, how do you think things have changed in the podcast as it started out from the first one to where we are now? You know, in some ways, not a lot of change. I think we're still just two guys having casual conversations, and I, and I just, I feel like it's fresh every single time. Um, I, I know there has been change. Uh, I think I get a little better at being conversational versus just teaching. I guess I could admit that, <laughs> uh, and you've t- you've helped me with that. But uh, we won't tell how many. You know, if if we counted the few podcasts that we cut out, we'd have at least 170 probably. <laughs> there, yeah, there are a few of those. But there, there's an olive tree one hanging out there somewhere yeah, that we've right. never done. We have, uh, yeah, we need we need to do so many. That's a challenge to do that topic uh, over the air without. Um, Without yeah. video or without any, any enhancements, just talking through it. I think there's a way to do it, um, yeah. but we need to attempt that again. Yeah. How do you see the change, though, Mike? I will say this. I think it's changed because I've changed and, and you've yeah. changed, and we're not the same people that we were three years ago. Mm. And my that's wife, Yeah, my wife and I just had that same conversation this morning. Go wow. Ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I used to get together at, at – a coffee shop and just talk a couple of times a week and thought, well, we should record these conversations. And they really, really were a casual conversation. And a lot of it was, you know, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And I think over the years, you and I probably pretty much know what the other person thinks more than a lot of people in this world, mm, right? Good point. Because we've talked so much and I've sat in classes. And so I think for, from, from my viewpoint, We've we still have casual conversation, but we've we've really uh, have moved into studying the word. I think deeper and talking about it. Not that we ever never did that at the beginning, but I guess what I'm saying is, as I change, I have a different relationship with the word, uh, and it's growing. And I'm sure that that comes out in the podcast differently than it did three years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just the nuance of words that take on big meanings, things we could have even skipped over in the past, but now we'll dwell on because there's so much depth 
to be understood by certain little plain and precious things. And, you know, when we see things in our day and age, I mean, not, not to go negative, but I, I just find that um, there's, there's people who read the scriptures and they're open-minded. There's people within our organization who read the scriptures and it's like, you know, they want to use the black highlighter. That must not be true. That can't be true. You know, I, I even heard someone tell me that, you know, there's some people pretty vehemently opposed to classes I've been teaching recently because it just doesn't fit their worldview. And it's, I just feel like we're just reading from the scriptures. But nevertheless, um, you know, you read it with an open mind, you listen, and you, and you bear testimony. And it's God who does the work. It's, it, as you pointed out in, there, in our prayer before we started, you know, God, you're the one who does the work. You're the one who bears fruit. You know, if we can just be faithful. Yeah, I... Uh I will say in the last uh, couple of months, really since this, this class series uh, that you're teaching now, uh, I've noticed, and I'm sure you have, uh, a very um, negative spirit, a very angry spirit at times, uh, whether it's in emails or casual conversations or comments. Um, and it's, it's, done, it's doing a number on me mentally and spiritually, and I'm praying about it, but it's hard, Corey, when you see that anger. Um, and I, I have something to apologize for. A friend called me out, not called me out in a very loving way, said, hey, your tone got kind of sharp a few podcasts ago. And I went back and listened to it. And I think I, I think he was referring to, I said something like, you know, if you, if, if you, if you don't, or if you believe in the Book of Mormon, you can't preach about, you know, levels of salvation because it's just not there. And, and I kind of probably, well, I know in my mind, Corey, as you and I talk, uh, it's like almost like we're just driving in a car and we're having this private conversation. And I would say things probably very free, knowing you wouldn't judge me. And it's just sometimes you just let those things of your heart come out. Right. Well, I was reminded that as as much as we say this is casual conversation, it is being recorded for all the world to hear. Not that all the world listens, but it's out there and it's going to be out there. And uh, and words carry weight and the tone and the way they're stated carry weight. And so as I get animated in here with you and, and, and realize that I'm just kind of sharing and burying my soul at times and, and, and I'm human and I get angry at these uh, spirit and these things that kind of attack what I think is plain truth. And that comes out in my, my voice and my tone and the words that I choose. I'm just going to apologize for that and try to uh, do a better job of just having charity and trying to well, I'm still going to get animated. I'm still yeah. going to get worked good, up. But, good thing we have padded walls, right? Right. <laughs> but the thing is, in my heart, I don't want to have any anger or hatred towards any one person. And I honestly can say I don't, but there's a spirit that rears its head. And so t- sometimes when you and I are talking, I probably haven't – well, I do. I have like a an instance in my mind of someone said this, and that really hurt. And so you try to speak against that, and it comes out in our tone and in yeah. our words. And I don't – and you're not I, speaking against the person not, so much, not at just all. the idea. Right. I, I was just thinking as we, we took the short five-minute drive from the church to the studio here, um, when I meet Jesus one day and I stand before him, uh, the first thing I'm sure I'll say is, Lord, uh, you know, I was a stinker. I was a sinner. I, I messed up. I had a lot of bad days. And, and even as I progressed in trying to read your word and learn about you, I still had bad days. And yeah, I still exactly. had 
those days where I, you know, I spent all day on the couch watching Netflix and, mm-hmm. and I was thinking it's so sad when Netflix asks you, are you still here? Really? Like, are you still watching? Like nobody could really spend eight hours on that. I mean, and I'm like, yes. Okay. I already feel bad enough. Don't, don't make me remind myself. Oh, oh, <laughs> so you have to hit like, so it'll shut off. Right. There, there's no way you're still here on the couch. Right. And I'm like, and I'm like, but, uh, but I, I, I make an exaggeration, but you know, it's those days, Corey, that, that I just fail. And that's why I need a savior. And, Mm -hmm. and, and after, I hope after I confess my sins to my Lord and, and, and real recognize how much I need him, I tell him with a humble heart, you gave us these really, really plain words as this gift in the last days. And I don't know why you put me on the earth in 1980, 90, 2000s when, and why I had the ability to read the Book of Mormon and was brought up in a family that wasn't opposed to it, so I didn't have a prejudice against it and just was able to accept it. I don't know why I met Corey Stark at a Starbucks, you know, over a decade ago, and we began to talk about doctrine and scripture and realized that uh, someone else in this world saw things differently like I did uh, based on the word. I don't know why all of these things happened and why we decided to do a podcast, but, but I just want to tell the Lord— I just tried to really share the plainness that you gave us uh, as best as I could. And if if I led people astray or, or hurt the souls of man, forgive me, I did, and I'm doing the best that I that I could and can. Wow, wow. You know, that's, that's beautiful. I just, I love that. What I love about the spirit that does carry through the truth of the Book of Mormon and the teachings that hopefully we're representing correctly— uh, just by our limited understanding because we're human, is the spirit of humility that comes in just exactly through what you just said, the the need for a Savior. You know, I I can attest that, you know, most of my life, I think I believed the way other people do kind of in the restoration about, you know, whether it's three gods or multiple levels of salvation because that's all I'd ever heard. But in all that, I can't say I ever had this gratitude for a Savior because I just sort of felt like, well, I have to do my thing and I have to do my part. And the and the whole change in me now is realize I'm nothing without my Savior. I mean, there's there's nothing I bring to the table. It's all because of him. And and I don't think I could have ever read that. No, I, I don't think I could have ever felt that internally without being confronted with the plain words of the Book of Mormon, which teach exactly that. Yeah. We had a beautiful short conversation with a brother after the um, class today, and, and he says something that I had— I think I've mentioned you or I've been thinking for the last couple of weeks and, and I'm using my words to say what he told me or what I heard anyway, was that when he, when he sat through that class and something just resonates within you and, and moves within you that this, that this truth about who God is. And we just sat through a class, Corey, that, that was PhD level in my opinion. It was uh, the the amount of work and research you've done, not lifting you up, but that wasn't a class that came together because you read an article on the internet this week. It was uh, months and many books of study and reading over the past year and um, and using all kinds of resources, which, by the way, uh, if, if you didn't get it when you looked at class today, those resources, none of those were Latter-day Saint backgrounds, not no, even zero. not even Mormon, like nothing, nothing, nothing with the restoration, just scholars looking at the Hebrew language, which, in my opinion, just makes it all the more amazing to see the truth that they're coming up with, looking at the makeup of the Hebrew language 
and then looking at the plain words in the Book of Mormon that you don't need a PhD to read and understand, but you can sit down and read like a children's book from front to back and get the clear picture. How amazing those things are so simple. I mean, they're identical. But but what God said is, and, and what, I love quoting Nephi now, when he his heart was sad because he says, I've told you things in plain words, even as plain as words can be. <laughs> and so when we look at the Book of Mormon and its message, it says exactly what, you were teaching today that the Hebrew Hebrew language has said for thousands of years and how it's morphed into what it is today. But the Book of Mormon says it very plainly and simply. And when we stray off that straight and narrow path of those plain and simple words and walk in crooked paths with our own opinions about who God is and how do we explain who God is, uh, that's when the Book of Mormon loses its power and its message, its simple mm-hmm. message and people, I think because we talk about the nature of who God is, Corey, that we get sometimes attacked, sometimes honest seeking of answers. And I don't feel like my response, I, I feel like my, my only response is this, who am I to tell you about the nature of God? Exactly. I can read in the Book of Mormon that there is, as you've pointed out, a very fluid, very identical story and telling of who God is by all the major writers all I can do is read those words in their plainness and simplicity and do what our brother said today, allow those words to resonate in my heart and allow God to do a work with those truthfulness of who he is. That's the change. That's being born again. That's that's what it means. Exactly. And what else on the face of this earth, Corey, is going to change our hearts than the Spirit of God? And when we read it's it's the message of the book of mormon it's not the book that we hold up but the message of who god is even from the title page the purpose to convince <laughs> jew and gentile of who god is the eternal father that that truth changes us and changes our heart and i want to play uh, i want to play a little clip a 20 second clip from the bible project um, this past week if, and, uh, and see how it ties into what we're saying right now. So, yeah. yeah, I think one of the goals for my life is to know God, to love God, and to help others know and love Him more, mm-hmm. too. I think that's a pretty mm. general goal that mm. most Christians could adopt. And that doesn't mean you have to be a Bible nerd. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to do a quiet time. It means you value knowing who God is. And, and that does mean familiarity with the biblical story to some extent. But it also means finding ways to connect with him that don't have to just be reading scripture. It could yeah. be like for me, I love prayer walks. It's really hard for me to sit down and just mm-hmm. focus, mm-hmm. but I love like going on a walk and mm-hmm. praying or thinking or reflecting with a friend about scripture or yeah, I just I don't think it has to look the same for everyone, but knowing God and loving God, receiving his love, I think is a really important part mm-hmm. of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. We're talking about two people that have PhDs in uh, Christian studies mm-hmm. and have gone through, uh, I think Tim Mackey's uh, major was Hebrew, uh, and that's why they're wow. so good at it. Which, amazingly enough, your, your thing today on Genesis and John, they've completely talked about the same exact thing, mm-hmm. how, how John is speaking the language of Genesis again uh, in his book, which amazing that Bible scholars, nothing to do with the Book of Mormon, that they... They come to the same truths that you're you're coming to, but anyway, th- these two people, their whole the whole vision of the Bible project, they said, is to make Bible nerds, not to 
but to uh, to have it do its work within you. And she just said, Carissa just said exactly what was important to her. She said the whole purpose is knowing God, knowing his love, and then sharing that with others. Mm. And knowing God's love doesn't come. It's not separate from knowing him. Like, oh, I feel loved by this great entity out there somewhere. The more you know who God is as he reveals himself to you, his very nature, it changes who you are, and you realize how loved you are by him. Mm. You then share that love with others. And she just nailed it. That's the purpose. It's, just, it's not even always sitting down reading, but just walking and meditating on the word. Mm. Becoming, becoming uh, they said, becoming Bible literary meditators is what they want to do in the culture, is just knowing that his word changes us. And she's, she just said it. That's, that's it. And then we become firm and steadfast in that, you know? That's yeah. the, this faith that's turned into action that now we've, we want to make it our, our, our calling. We, w- we want to fulfill whatever God's will is because of that change. And, and yeah. not, not, just, not just believe it and think about it, but be it. And so, yeah, when, when people come, come and say, oh, you're teaching you know, the one God theory, or it's, it's like, it's not the one God theory. I, I, you can call it what you want to call it, but we're, we're just trying to meditate on who God is and who he reveals himself to be. And the goal in core, I, think, I don't think we can restate this enough. The goal is not to find unity by trying to get you know, all 20,000 restorationists or however many are left on one side of the aisle that says, okay, God is one being, you know, not two separate, you know, personages or two separate beings, whatever our clumsy language says, that's not the goal. That's, that's, that's accomplishing absolutely nothing to get a bunch of people to believe the same thing. It's our, our hearts being changed by people who are coming to know who God is as he yes. reveals them to you. That's yes. the goal. Yes. And you know, I was going to mention after class uh, two weeks ago, well, we didn't have class last week, but two different people mentioned after class, totally independent, but said the same thing. They said, you know, while you're teaching, it occurred to me that our works aren't this thing that we just, you know, make this list of, but our works become the result of that new outflow of God's change in us. And then our works become the result of that change, and that's the evidence that becomes either we've got it or we don't, you know. And it can be on any any level or ever any response, but that we're we're totally committed, that we're totally changed because of that. Um, that's what that's what the change of heart means, and it's it's not just. I read so many scriptures or I said so many prayers. It's that I became someone different because of that. Yeah, that that um, I was I was thinking. The works, uh, when we talk about that word, works, we, uh, as the Bible Project pointed out, you know, you had the law of Moses that just gave you a, a way to act from sun up to sundown and all kinds mm-hmm. of do this, this, and this, don't do that, that, and, and this is how you become righteous. You know, the, the better you can follow this, that's the, the better, you know, godly person you are. Do, do we really want a list of, can you imagine if God gave us, quote, like a New Testament law where it says today you're going to, you know, you pray at sunrise, at noon, at sunset, you're going to you give, you know, this much money to this, this many people and exactly. only have this much money in your bank account at any time and, and had all of these lists of, quote, works. Uh, I think that there's a really vague gray area on purpose because, as pointed out, uh, I keep referencing the, the Bible project, they said 
we're, we're, we're supposed to have take on the character and the traits of God so that we don't need a list. Mm. And, and when you have this idea mm. of works, uh, number one, I think our mind all goes to a different place based on our prejudice on how we've read Scripture and what we think about Scripture. But I don't find a huge list anywhere in the Book of Mormon that says, you know, here's 50 things you need to do. Right. Or even in the New Testament Bible, here, here's, here's a list of things you need to do. And really, it, it always comes back to this salvation issue. And, and we were going to talk today about the atonement. Is it enough? Is it all? When you start adding in levels of salvation, um, where's, the, where's the specifics that yeah. say this is what you need to do to be at this highest level? Or, exactly. How, how could that be just this nebulous thing that you can't find out? You just have to accept whatever comes your way. That doesn't seem fair at all. No, and, and when we talk about the changing of the heart, how can you— Well, I have some, a couple of scriptures because I want to read the scripture and say what the Word says about that because I think it's very, very clear um, that that's so tied into the changing of the heart, what you believe about God and who He is. You, you taught a class today about different words for God, that they mean justice and mercy, and one's male and one's female, and the God of authority and strength, and how that's the masculine and the female, all of these things describing who God is. Uh, the more that you read those things, and then you go back to the plain word of the Book of Mormon, it shapes how you see your Creator, and how what it comes down to to me is how you exercise faith in Him. Yes. Because if you can't exercise faith unto repentance, then the blood of Christ can't claim you. The Book of Mormon is very, very clear on that. Mm-hmm. So I was reading this week, Corey, in Alma, well, in the Book of Mormon. I, read, I came across this, um, this scripture, uh, and I don't even remember the book that it was in, but you'll know probably when I start reading it. But it says, oh, it was, it was Nephi's vision, I believe, part of it. But it says, the angel said unto me, look. And I looked and beheld three generations pass away in righteousness, and their garments were white, even like unto the Lamb of God. And the angel said unto me, these are made white in the blood of the Lamb because of their faith in him. And I started pondering on that, and I thought, how, how intricate, you know, you're, you're made white by the blood of the Lamb, not just by his blood, but by your faith in him. And what does that look like? And you talked about faith today, being, being action, being, you know, from the east. The firmness and steadiness to do as well. It's the, it's the, it's the, you're making up in your mind that you're going to do God's will no matter what. You know, it's that decision that becomes the result which faith is. So that scripture was from First Nephi 3. So I asked that question, and I don't, I don't know how I got onto it, or, or maybe I searched on something, but Alma 16, verse 216 is the answer to this. Because I wrote down questions. How do you have faith in him? What is that faith? How does that faith work? Because we're, we're told we have to have faith unto repentance. Right. And I remember uh, when John Owens was, was on sharing his testimony on Stories of the Saints, he said when, when he had his experience with God, the first thing he did was pray to him for the faith to repent. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that something? Isn't that? Uh, <laughs> wow. What a perspective. Yeah. Um, so when you read Alma 16, uh, verse 216, it says, This being the intent of his last sacrifice, to bring about the, uh, <laughs> I love this language, the bowels of mercy, mm. which over powereth justice 
and here's the key, and bringeth about the means unto men that they may have faith unto repentance. Mm. Mm. If you start messing with the bowels of mercy and turning it into something else, you lose your means to repent. Mm. This is the means that we are able to repent and trust in our God <laughs> so that our garments can be made white by his blood. You know, the, the whole of the Book of Mormon is this flatly executed law that justice dictates we cannot return to God's presence. There is nothing in our power to do that. We don't live with that understanding, you know, as far as a forefront in our thinking, but yet that's still the law that applies to every one of us unless faith can, or mercy rather, can overpower justice. Mercy has to be able to overpower justice or there's no hope for us. And again, it comes back to our decision to, as it says here, have faith unto repentance or to exercise the change of our will to be firm and steadfast in the ways of God, that we will firmly want to do the ways of God. That's faith to repentance as well, because that achieves the end, you know, that, that our will changes so that we now become something different than who we were. Yeah, and if you, if you can't, shouldn't say can't, I'm trying to choose my words more wisely. If you choose not to. It's hard yeah. to trust, for me, it's hard to trust in a God who, number one, how do you slip in at the end of time the idea that you're not just saved in my kingdom, but you, you can be in my kingdom, but not with me? Exactly. That's, exactly. That seems like a shady deal. A shady deal, <laughs> right, where and there's if a lot of fine print. And, and even now in discussions, when we try to discuss the Book of Mormon, the, the, most of the um, pushback comes from the viewpoint of one or two sections giving in a revelation at the like at the end of the you know right before Christ comes back, mm-hmm. and we're going to use that lens then to view all other scripture. It's like, shouldn't we? Someone somewhere have mentioned this earlier, and I'm sure people would argue, well, it's there. Well, it's not there very plain. No. Show me. It's no. not there very plain. It may ask. It may lead to a hundred other questions about a hundred other scriptures. Like, what was this meaning? Maybe this meant. Maybe this is stating what what this levels of heaven are about, and that's not right. Yeah, and, and to act as if, well, this is why the church was restored, because we could know these things. It's like, but to have it be so unclear and vague, and it's like you say, how do you know where you're going to be? That None of that describes the God of the Book of Mormon, who is mighty to save. He's mm-hmm. all about saving. Why would he not lay it out as plainly and simply as possible? You know, we discuss this from time to time, jokingly, uh, sorry for the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. You know, mm-hmm. we, we state that, and I, I realize that <clears throat> Nephi's first book is is all about their their doings and their their um, arriving at the land and getting established and wars and contentions and everything. But the second book is is just a smattering of that. But then it's a couple sermons by his brother, and it's and then it's the words of Nephi, who's now had. From what we can tell, he lived at least 55 years after they arrived here because it says, you know, they lived, it's been 55 years and Nephi died. He doesn't elaborate. But the point being, he had all that time to write a short letter. And, and the final things he talks about in the second book are the plain words that we need to know how to come to Christ and what it means to have his word and his spirit. And it doesn't elaborate. And now I'm realizing the, the, the complex beauty of this that it's like, 
it didn't take chapters and chapters. It took a few very short chapters for him to summarize the essence of it. And that's all he told us, <laughs> you know, in the end. And he took a lot of time to write a very short letter so that we couldn't be confused. And, and yet we put that aside for something that's very confusing and a notion that hasn't survived the test of time. And we realized, you know, these words were available to his people freely, you know, 550 years, let's put a date on it, at least before the coming of Christ, and well before that, because we had preachers of righteousness in other places. That's why the words of Zenos and Zenic and others are, are written in the Book of Mormon. They were well before this time period, and, 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 and well-known writers of the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But the point being, God hasn't hidden any of this other than the fact that, you know, this idea that he was the God of creation and would become the God in the flesh, that wasn't made known until after his resurrection. At least the people who understood it didn't advertise it uh, to the extent that it could have been, although Nephi and Jacob explain it clearly. After, I, just, I just think that this whole plan from the beginning can only be the plain and simple. It cannot be this complex thing at the end where it's like, well, there's a technicality here and the whole game's been different all along. No, that's all wrong. That's completely wrong. What's what's true is the beauty of the simpleness of it. It's got to be that. It has to be. Uh, when you read about the fact that that uh, mercy overpowering justice, which is what every one of us needs from our God, <laughs> yeah. we need we need the mercy side of our God because um, if mercy or justice, either one of those things. I just heard in the word this week, if either one of those things didn't exist, God would cease to be God. They are so, they are God. God is justice and he's mercy and he cannot not be just. And so to bring about the bowels of mercy, that's like, to me, that's like the very the huge innards <laughs> of, of, of who God is. Please, the bowels of mercy, which yeah. overpowereth justice, and that's what we all need from our God, and bringeth about the means unto men that they may have faith unto repentance. That is the intent of this last sacrifice. And what is that last sacrifice, Corey, but the atonement? Exactly, exactly. And that's how he states it <clears throat> exactly. This in verse 215, and this is the whole meaning of the law. Well, actually, maybe starting at um, 214. Then sure there'll be, or it is expedient there should be, a stop to the shedding of blood. Then shall the law of Moses be fulfilled. It shall be fulfilled, every jot and tittle, and none shall have passed away. And behold, this is the whole meaning of the law. Every wit appointing to that great and last sacrifice, and that sacrifice, that great and last sacrifice, will be the Son of God, yea, infinite and eternal. And thus he shall bring salvation to all who believe on his name. I mean, it's like, it can't be any simpler than that. And it can't be any greater than that because that's the greatest thing there is. Yeah, so so this this atonement, this last sacrifice, allows men, gives men the means that they can have faith unto repentance. So as John said, mm -hmm. I, I prayed that prayer, Lord, give me faith unto repentance. We're asking, Lord, help the atonement, help this last sacrifice just be burned into my heart Help me understand the work that you did. Help me become a, a meditator of the word for the rest of my days here. M you know, can I ever, it's not like I don't think you spend, you know, 40 hours one week on the great mediation, the great condescension of God, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've got the, I understand the atonement now. The book's closed on that. I think it's a lifelong appreciation, a joy, an increasing 
love for your God, which leads to an increasing love for your fellow man, which leads to repentance, which leads to uh, becoming more and more in his image. I'm thinking of the words, the increasing humility from it all. Humility. Just being overwhelmed by this. Yeah, where uh, where you know people can lash out at you and attack you for trying to, to teach the word, and you don't get angry at them, and you don't use a sharp tone in a podcast, but your love and your love for your God just uh, continually increases. That's the journey, and that's where when we start talking about works, it's like if I'm cut off in the middle of that journey because I get hit by a car somewhere, then hopefully the blood of Jesus atones for my sins and that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that was a day I binged Netflix for eight hours. And, and is that the some part of my life? Or is that, as my wife said, driving home from church one day, she goes, that was, maybe that was the best you that day. And you got to trust Jesus to make up for the rest. I mean, you know, if, if, if each one of us was allotted 60 years on this earth, this, this, this big ball of dirt, and, and and we could all perfect ourselves in those 60 years and be walking humbly and perfectly before before God and 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 that was it then uh, you know that would be a pretty great thing but how many I'm gonna probably go to my deathbed sitting on the last day of my life here in some way shape or form and I'm gonna need Christ to to heal me and to save me exactly exactly oh that's that's just so true and that that promise of salvation, is assured for those who repent and come unto him and as many times as we repent. I mean, how, how does it get more beautiful than that? I, I just can't, I can't see it any other way, ascribing to some other unknown of salvation, some other mid-level, some other, well, you did okay, but you didn't do as good as someone else. It's like none of that even makes sense in light of an eternal, infinite God. It, it can't be because it becomes a finite salvation. Right. And you're in your class today, you know, showing even the very beginning words of how God uh, in Genesis is talking about the tabernacle, the tabernacle connecting God to the earth. And we know that that Jesus was did become that tabernacle. You know, when the temple was no more, Jesus mm-hmm. became that the, 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 the big the scroll or the big blanket that was covered up using the worst words possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The blanket that was, you know, in between the Holy of Holies uh-huh. was ripped. Right, right. There and, was no more separation. And, and so I wrote these words reading that, reading, you know, how three generations passed by and were, were white by the blood of Christ. And how did this happen? How do men have faith under repentance? By trusting that the sacrifice, the atonement, that that mercy overpowers justice. That allows me mm. to begin my journey with God, trusting and relying wholly upon the merits of Jesus, who's mighty to save. And man, when we stray off that straight and narrow course and start interjecting our manly wisdom and asking hundreds and thousands of questions about, well, what about this? And what about this scripture? And what about works? And what about, you know, all of these things? Is I just can only refer back to the plain message in the Book of Mormon. And, and not apologize for that, but that's the best I can do. Yeah. I have no wisdom in myself. Yeah. Wow. You know, the I, I'm not going to share anything private, although the pastor and I talked about a couple of private things, but he, he did mention that at another congregation he was visiting recently within the Restoration, some people who had been watching our class, I guess not with favorable views, um, approached him and said, you're nothing but a Protestant congregation now if you're teaching that, whatever they adjective those they used and it's like you know here's here's where i'm realizing uh not all but some of our people have really 
either never been introduced to the truth or just had it kind of squashed out by so many other notions that somehow God isn't this God of mercy and justice, that he's some other kind of fickle God, that we we have to do a lot of our, our own works to be able to get a little closer to him. But it's almost as if when I read that picture by however they've envisioned God, you know, in, in the opposite view, is that that God is this aloof, um, doesn't communicate a lot with people kind of God, isn't really on our side so much. It's like he's made some rules, and oh, if you can figure it out, it's pretty complicated. But, you know, you some of you will make it to me. A lot of you won't. Most of you won't. But I'll still call it salvation. I mean, it's all these things that the Book of Mormon doesn't teach. It's all these attributes that are made up in the minds of men that somehow satisfies their need to feel like, well— you know, it's partly on Jesus and it's partly on me. It's like, no, it's completely on Jesus. And in the sense it's completely on me, we have to realize what these uh, responsibilities are. The responsibility of Jesus was this great atonement. It, it was the sacrifice. It was the thing that made the difference so mercy could overcome justice. And as you pointed out already, if mercy could not overcome justice— there was no hope for anyone, anything. God would keep on be, being God because he's not breaking his laws of justice. He's offering mercy to us in a way that can equal and overwhelm justice. Overpower. If, overpower it. Right. <laughs> but it takes our will to change. And that's the key. That's what our works mean is that our works demonstrate if our will changed. And, you know, when I look at the will of, of people, even in the church, there's it's pretty obvious whose, whose hearts have been changed and who's are stuck in the old ways, you know? It becomes and more angry. I was going to ask angry, you, but yeah. I want to I mention something and then remind me to ask you this question. Because Well, I'm going to say the question so that we can come back to it. I want to talk about reading behind those comments and what, what, what is going on. You know, what, what is that really saying? So stay with me on that. But yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to say this. How cool is it that our God, who, who is a God of justice and mercy, did this great condescension. Exactly. I just thought of it. It just hit me in, in, as we were talking. He has this great condescension. I'm going to take on flesh and blood so that it's not like, it's just so that, so that my mercy nature will overpower my justice nature. Exactly. And what I have to do to allow that to happen is I'm going to take on flesh and blood and I'm going to not sin. Can, I mean, to, to be the creator of everything and then to, to limit yourself to pain and emotional and physical and to come down and put in flesh and blood and, and walk on this earth with your creation. It's like, Corey, I'm going to go be an ant for a day <laughs> and learn how to build ant holes and, and crawl around on the bricks. And, and try not to be stepped on. Right. That's okay. I know that's a silly analogy because God's great love for us. We are so much more valuable than ants. But it's like He's just conde- the the condescension is another thing that you can meditate on for your entire life and try to have it revealed and be appreciated in a greater way. Leads you to greater love for your God. So that's why that question posed to Nephi comes probably as we read it without enough emotion when that's the first question that the messenger asks Nephi other than, hey, what do you want to know? He says, I want to understand the interpretation of my father's vision. And as he shows him some things, he says, hey, what do you see? I see this vision of this young girl. (laughs) Fair above all. Yeah, fair above all. Virgin, fair above all. And then he asks the question, the ultimate question, 
knowest thou the condescension of God? Do you realize how this God, the creator of everything, is going to come out of her womb, you know, and, and be a human like you? I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh. And, and, and from my viewpoint, that's what God is, is saying is, in order for my mercy side to overpower my justice side, I'm going to have to become like one of these and die and allow them to kill me. Exactly. I'm going to have to die on this altar, and my blood will then atone. And there's no other way. There's no other way. And I just— And it can't be told by any other story of our own making. That's the, that's the no, thing that gets and, me. And, and so you know, we've had words said and stuff. You're leading people away by a simpler gospel less, with less truth and, you know, and perhaps even leading them to hell. I, yeah, we've been accused of that. If you're well, well <laughs> so I, if, if, if telling people that the atonement is all, that that, that is— what God did to save your soul and you rely on his merits and that takes me to hell, um, then I did my best. Uh, because what, in my mind, what really destroys people is when you add something more than our God taking on flesh to so that his mercy side can overpower his justice side and that yeah. that atonement isn't enough. And so people say, well, don't... <laughs> okay, so... People say, "Well, you're nothing more than a Protestant branch." What do you What do you think that means to our saints and our culture? Why Why, when we talk about the fact that there is not levels to salvation, that you're either with God in His kingdom or you end up becoming a son of perdition, why does that always, not always, but so many times, lead directly to that next statement? Well, you're just preaching easy salvation, then why should I repent at all? Yeah, and then the scriptures are so clear why. Yeah, for, for one, to, to ask that question means that people haven't read enough or have only understood a portion and then turn that into their own thinking because if if the Book of Mormon isn't clear enough already, I don't know what can be, but it's like, you know, we, we get the easy grace thing, you know, we get the, oh, you don't need to be baptized and all these kind of things that go with it, but it's like, that's not even there. It's like, to even say, oh, this is easy, easy grace? No, it's not that at all. It's, it's strict, straight, and narrow grace, which has been the only grace that's ever been offered. There's one way to God, and there's one way to return to him, and that is by our change of heart. And then we witness that through our baptism. We witness that by being led by his word, guided by his spirit. And those are these things that, if we endure to the end, make grace applied to us where all of our sin, as you said, I'll, I'll probably have sin on my deathbed too, but I count on this Savior because of this atonement for us to have made the difference. And if there was anything I could have done outside of that, you know, he would have told me, but he didn't. And that's why the the writers of the Book of Mormon are so clear and almost terse to, to the point where they don't add a lot. They don't embellish this at all. They just mm-hmm. say, you need to bow down and worship him. And, and those comments, I don't know who— I've heard them made to myself many times, and I don't, this is not, um, this isn't a, I'm not negatively trying to put anyone in a negative light to ask that, because I've asked that same question to myself, but I, I want to say this correctly. The very fact that that question comes up so quickly when you start talking about, um, you know, there being one kingdom in one place in eternity, and that's at the right hand of God, or you are cast off, as the Book of Mormon says, when you bring up that simplicity, why the follow-up is always, well, 
that's just what the Protestants teach, or that's just easy believism, or that's just um, you know the the mainstream Christianity gospel. And I think the fact that those comments come up is the result of teaching levels of salvation, oh. and that because you're asking those questions means that we don't get the gospel at all, or those questions would never be asked. Like, well, why why repent at all then? Right. Well. Exactly. The fact that you asked that question is because the whole gospel to you is is a story of I'm going to do my very best so that I can get the best reward, and that's why I repent. Yeah. It's yeah. you know it's nothing about because living close to the you know knowing who your God is brings joy in your heart and understanding the condescension. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, as I said, our minds go places when we hear the word. Well, well, are you not saved by your works? It's like. Yeah, my my work is is what we've talked about. It's like reading the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God and and keeping my mind out of the world and placed on my Savior. Are those not works? Those are the works that I find we're told to do in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And and you enter in at the way and you walk in the way and it's very straight and it's very narrow and it's very specific. So that you, like you said, you can stay in the grace of God. That requires a whole lifetime of, if you want to use the word works, I, I mean, it's a whole lifetime of an attitude. It's a whole way of living. It's called the way. The way. The way is a, is a life of works, man. It's a way of, the way is your God is everything. Your pursuit of your God is everything. Your desire to be with your God is everything. Mm-hmm. Is, if that is not a life of works, I don't know what is. But the fact that we have to have this question come up, well, well, then what about your works? And what what works do you do that we're asking that, I think, is a result of this level of reward system because it naturally, how can your mind go anywhere else? If you know there's a plateau or a hierarchy of places to go, how can you not ask, well, what about your, what do you need to do then? What about your works? You know, there's an interesting parable Jesus gives in the New Testament about workers. And, he's, and he, the parable is like the, the master says to various people, hey, come work for me, to, and I'll give you a penny. You know, work the day, and I'll give you a penny. And they're happy because a penny was a good wage for a day's work. And then there's, there's some people who come in at the last hour, and he needs more workers, and he says to them, hey, work for me for this last hour, and I'll give you a penny. And there's apparently the people who are there all day are kind of miffed, and the people in the end, end of the day are, are happy. They don't have a reason to be miffed, but they feel like, hey, well, that wasn't fair. We worked all day, and these people came in at the end, and we all got the same wage. Well, the, the point of this, there's a couple points. One of them is that, as it's spelled out in the parable, God is a God of, of fairness. And he said, how was I not fair? I paid you exactly what we agreed on, and you're getting that. And I needed some more help, and I paid those people exactly what we agreed on. Why, do, why are you unhappy because I'm fair? And where, where I see this story going is I wonder which of those players of the workers is us. I, I, th- I tend to think the restoration with some of these other doctrines has skewed towards the, the former, the people who felt like they were working all day and doing what they had to do, and yet there was these other people who didn't do nearly as much, and then they got the same reward in the end. And I, my comparison of this is simply to salvation in that, you know, I, I feel like God <laughs> in his mercy will end up being far more merciful than anything we can imagine because I, I think— and I could be totally wrong, but I think it's going to go something like, well, you know, so judgment. And again, this is just me talking. I'm not quoting the scripture here. But, you know, Corey, you had 
sin and you had these works and I can see that your, your heart was changed, guess what? All your sin is removed. And it's like nothing a lot more complex than that because he can see the evidence that there was a change. Was I perfect? No, but he wants me to be perfect. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to perfect me in him. But, yeah. but, yeah. you know, I, I, anyhow, I just, I just see this as this, um, it's, it's a simple judgment in the end based on our works. And it's like if our, if our works proved we had a changed heart, all our sin is removed. And that's what happens. With the script, what's the scripture? It says that the thoughts of men are evil continually. Yeah, yeah. I I don't imagine that. Well, I just can't imagine getting to heaven and like when I get there and when I stand before Jesus and and I'm told that by His Word that I'm carnal, sensual, and devilish. That the yeah. thoughts of men are evil continually, and and I think what that means is in context that we always have a propensity to sin and we're geared towards sin and we're always fighting the battle against the flesh and hoping that the Spirit wins out and, and doing what we can to allow the Spirit of God you know, to reside in us so that the Spirit does win out. But, man, I'm not going to get to my last day on earth having done more good things than bad things. I, I'm just going to be overwhelmingly sinful and filthy, and there's only one hope for me, and that's called the... The robe of righteousness, the cloak of purity, and yes. you know the scripture. I, yes. I misquote. So that's what it is, man. You put on that robe of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ, and 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 you want to talk about works. My works are filthy and they're evil and they're sinful, and I hope to have good moments of clarity in between those things, where where I'm almost maybe reflecting a little bit the nature of my Father in heaven, I Mm -hmm. hope. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you're talking about holiness and righteousness and whiteness and and brilliance more than the sun because of the holiness, and you look at me, even on my best day, I'm a filthy little creature. I'm a filthy little creature. And so we talk about works and how, how, you know, how good you did to get to whatever. Man, I got to tell you that it, it sounds like a, a low blow, and I don't mean to be, but I was told, what would you do, Corey, if someone said to you, you know, you got to be careful what you're teaching and realize if you say something different, you're going, you're going against 190 years of culture of the RLDS church and people that were righteous and men. What would you say to that? Well, for one, I'd say, brother, you know, just keep reading the word because what we perceive as righteousness many times wasn't. And there's a there's this propensity to believe that somehow anything that happened between 1830 and 1844 and was written down was somehow holy and true and just. And for one, it's not all that. Those people had as many sins and misgivings as we do. We've immortalized them and we've sanitized our church history to unbelievable extents to just sort of accentuate the good. I would say this. It doesn't matter at all what people believed and said. It comes back down to what does the eternal word of God say? And, and this wasn't even given to us to compare to hist- history, our own church history. We can do it, but that's where we fall into trouble. I would say <clears throat> God has never said, hey, take my word and compare it to all the people before. All he said is that the people before have been praying and their blood cries out to me that there will be righteousness served and that people will, will come back. But he's he's not ever, you know, taking us down this path of, you know, oh, well, your forefathers were right. Again, these forefathers were the ones who in 1832 received the warning 
that you have rejected the Book of Mormon and this whole church lies under condemnation because of that. When was that ever removed or rescinded? Yeah, a a friend of mine told me the other day, although he... (laughs) I thought he said a dead orchid, which was not what he said. He said the church is a dead orchard. Dead orchard. <laughs> but think about that, and that's that's really, really hard to admit to. But it's like, well, if you want to say we're giving up 190 years of teaching, what is the fruit of that 190 years of teaching? That is not that that's going to sting when people hear that. Yeah. That doesn't mean that great grandma and great grandpa didn't have faith. It doesn't mean that they didn't have miracles. They, they did because why? Because Jesus loves his children. Exactly. He, he he's opened up the bowels of his mercy to us. Yeah. And when we have healings and when we have uh, miracles and we have part of that culture of our history, that's written down because that's what we have living in these years. We have a recorded history and we have, testimonies that are passed down because this is where we're living. Those are the same things that God has been doing with his children for for, for all of thousands of years. We just don't have all of the, I mean, we have a lot of them written down, but there's so many, okay, God, because you have these things doesn't mean that you're right. Exactly. It just means that you're He's, loved by it, your creator. It and just so, means we have a merciful creator. And that's that's where our hope is. And, and so that's it's really freeing and it's okay to look and say, man, maybe, maybe we're at as a corporate body where, where we are because um, we, we weren't preaching a gospel that allows faith unto repentance, that, that allows our children to be excited about God, that, that the people are resonating and, and his spirit is vibrant within us and, and we keep our posterity and the church is growing and it's flourishing because the spirit is within it and, and because the Spirit's present, we have the fruits of the Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. And all of these things are living, and it's a breathing body of people that that believe in the Word of God and that are changed by the Word of God. Exactly. But when you have a skeleton and you have really, you know, for the most part, just a body of people that aren't being changed in the inner man to completely reflect who their, who their father is, then you have a dead orchard. But the Book of Mormon prophesies that there's not going to be any good fruit. Yeah, I was just going to say Jacob 3, that's the condition. When they come back and they taste every fruit of that tree that was grafted in, which is the Gentiles coming to Christ, when once it was abundant, now none of it is good. It, right. They taste of every branch and none of it's good. And, and, and it's prophesied that the Gentiles will reject the fullness of the gospel. And so this is what, this is the rub, and this is kind of where we're at right now is we have to ask ourselves, or at least remind ourselves it's okay. It's okay. It's not okay, but it's okay. It's not, when I say it's okay, it's not a surprise to God. And the fact that there's no good fruit just means that there's great help that's coming because what happened after, after there was no good fruit, the servant says, I will go down and becomes the Lord of the vineyard and works among us and makes all things right. And that's the coming of the son of God, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That, that is it. You know, I was just thinking about this, what what you just said, you know, that it's okay because in um, there's a couple of places in the Book of Mormon. I'm so, I'm so paranoid in my language now. It's like, okay, yeah, Mike just said it's okay to be sinful. No, it's no. like what I mean is it's not, a, it's, it's, it's not a surprise. It's all within the plan of God, and he yeah. knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, there's, there's several instances in the Book of Mormon where it doesn't matter how righteous— or how pure the word came from, 
I'm, I'm thinking right now of Helaman and Helaman chapter five, uh, Samuel the Lamanite, his words on the wall. Or you have Amulek and Alma when they're being questioned by Zizram and the plainness and simplicity with which they answer. In both of those situations, the response is that some people came and confessed their sins and wanted to believe them when they were baptized, but the majority were so miffed that they sought to destroy the people who were speaking the words. And it's like it reaches a few and it offends many. And so why why it happened then, it's the same reason as now. It's because that's where our will comes in. We 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 believe things for hundreds of reasons. That'll be the the thing that we can never adequately explain. Why do these same words affect people to their core to where all they can do is bow down and worship this God who condescended to us? And how can there be people who say, you know, it's like they won't reject the Book of Mormon. They won't say the Book of Mormon's wrong, but they'll just largely wave their arms at it and say, oh, no, none of that. But what you want is this, this multiple levels of salvation from this multiple tribunal of gods, and that's your salvation. It's like, you know, they can't address any of these any of these scriptures. But what was interesting was in Helaman 5, verse 112, uh, of Samuel, it says, but the spirit of the Lord was with him insomuch that they could not hit him with their stones or their arrows. Well, that's great. He had God's power. Yet, in verse 118, uh, and starting at 117, but it says... I but, know it's good. But the, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> but, but the, and, and so, uh, well, 116 says, as many as believed the words of Samuel went forth unto him and were baptized. They came... Re- repenting and confessing their sins. But the more part did not believe in the words of Samuel. And when they saw that they could not hit him with their stones and arrows, they cried out unto their captains, saying, Take this fellow and bind him, for behold, he hath a devil. And because of the power of the devil that is in him, we cannot hit him with our stones or our arrows. So here, God's spirit's with them. That's why they can't hit him. Yet it's interpreted by the people who are angry at the word that it's the devil in him. We got the same thing today. Same spirits today. Same spirits today. Competing for truth, always. Yeah, there's no change in the the nature of sin, is there? No. I just I want to end this episode just by my testimony, Corey. Of people say, well, you can argue scriptures all day long, but I can tell you this. And my friend actually, Adam, pointed this out to me recently. He said, I've seen a change in you over the last few years. I used to be so hard on myself, um, mm. so self critical. That uh, that it led me to suicidal thoughts. I mean, mm-hmm. it led me to the fact that my wife had to remove every firearm in the house and give them to a friend when I wasn't here because I was in such a dark place. And that stemmed from the fact that that I was no good, that I was never going to be good enough to be with my father mm-hmm. in heaven ever. And and everything that I did bad, Corey, was multiplied a hundred times as I went over and over in my mind. Why did I act that way? Why did I do this thing? You know, why can't I be better? Um, reading the truth, just as that scripture says, allows us to come to exercise faith unto repentance. Now, I'm not a great repenter. I'm, I'm a work in process, man. But when I say things like we have to look at our church over the last 190 years and say, what, have, what did we do wrong? What did we change? What, what has happened to lead us to, to where we're at today, a skeleton of what was and what did we change? And I can look at that and not feel this great weight of failure, but only to feel so loved and so much hope that that the Word of God contains every answer and, and, and who God is as I read about him. 
surrounds me with those arms of mercy. Mm-hmm. And so I do I have days when I'm still critical of myself? Yes, but I also have this hope that it doesn't drag me into the darkest of despair that I can't even function because I see the word of God is freeing and that I have hope when I rely on Jesus's merits and not my own. And I was taught my entire life uh, by the doctrine of the church to rely on my own merits. And even in the books and things we've read, it's, it's the exact verbiage. Wow. And, and you, you had those quotes by uh, Talmadge up on the, the um, board a couple of classes ago, uh, describing, you know, taking doctrine and covenant 76 and, and, you know, telling you how there's these different levels, and this one's for the best of the best, you know, and who had the best and the most holiest merits in their life. Um, that gospel led me to the dregs of wow. the darkest of despair. Uh, the gospel I read in the Book of Mormon, and, and Corey, I'm telling you, man, those spirits lash out, and I go back to that place from time to time. And the only way to be free from that is to come back and read the word to hear you teach the word, to preach the word, to talk about the word, and to find that peace again. But but in my lonely moments when I'm not meditating on the word and I allow my mind to start debating with other men about doctrines and theories and philosophies and I leave those words that are plain beyond all words, like how plainer can it be? When I step off that narrow path, that's when my mind starts debating all of these other theories and I'm like, oh, it can't be that simple. There has to be more to it. And I look beyond the mark and I stumble. Wow. And that's wow. just, that's my testimony. And that's where I'm at. And I guess if, if we talk about how has the podcast changed over the last few years, uh, I've probably becoming more adamant in my beliefs because you and I are ministers as well as two friends having casual conversation. Yeah. And I think from time to time, I cross over that boundary into wanting to uh, evangelize and get people to believe the truth because of its benefit for them in their life. And so, get a little animated and a little sharp in my tone sometimes. So I gotta, gotta watch that and remember who my God is. Well, I love you, brother. Thank you for sharing that powerful testimony. Hey, we got a new phone number. You got time <gasps> for that? Oh, I do. Hey, stop hey. the music. <laughs> no, no, I'm just gonna work, make my, my fingers go fast. Thanks for reminding us, guys. You can reach out and talk to us, and just call this message. You're right. I'm gonna have to edit the music later, Corey. Oh, I have it here. It's pinned in my notes. Uh, we haven't used it, but here it is. All right, you can call eight one six area code for independence eight one six three seven nine six four five four three seven nine six four five four. Reach out to us and leave a voicemail. We'll we'll hear your comments and maybe read them on the air if they're good if you don't want them read on the air just tell us that and we won't but we want to hear your voices it's just a voicemail it's just a voice message we want to hear your comments and if you're going to be mean just don't bother but no so if you if you have a logical disagreement and you want to speak to that then do it and um Sounds good. Well, I should hey. say a kind disagreement. All disagreements aren't logical, but... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But uh, just, just uh, yeah, keep that in mind. Give us a call. Let us know you're out there. And uh, just remember, we're all just here walking each other home. I think I'm going to... Oh, the music's still playing, Corey? Oh, yeah. Hey, you did it well. <laughs> all right. See you guys. Don't worry. We'll edit all this out. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.